How are you tonight? Have you fallen asleep already? How are you tonight? That's a little better. That's a little better. Well, it's an honor and a privilege to be with you tonight, and I just want to say thank you for hosting us and allowing us uh, to be here today. We had an amazing time at both uh, campuses uh, in the South and here this morning, and my son is in the South, as I said, tonight, and, and really looking forward to what God's going to do there and here. Just before I, I get into the Word, I want to do two things real quickly. How many of you have your phone? Pull your phone out if you have your phone. Hold your phone up. I want to see if you have your phone. I'm not Joel Osteen. I'm not going to say, this is my phone. He says, this is my Bible. I'm not going to do that. That may be your Bible. Okay, how many of you are on social media? What, what are you on? Twitter? How many of you are on Twitter? Nobody does Twitter? Who, I can't see you. How many of you are on Twitter? Raise your hand. Let me see. Shout at me something. Okay, if you're on Twitter, go to Twitter right now. Come on, go right now. And follow Hooper Dwayne. H-U-P-E-R-D-U-A-N-E. I need 100 followers tonight. Come on. Hooper Dwayne, H-U-P-E-R-D-U-A-N-E. And if I say something good, tweet it. Okay? If I don't say something good, make something up and tweet it and give me credit for it. Okay? How many of you are on Instagram? All right. Go to Instagram right after you do that. And once you get on Instagram, Hooper Dwayne, H-U-P-E-R-D-U-A-N-E. It's like super, but with an H. Facebook? Anybody on Facebook? Five people on Facebook. That's for old people. It's all these old people on Facebook. If you're old and you're on Facebook, uh, Dwayne White, I may have 5,000 friends. I usually do, and then I make people mad, and they unfollow me, and so I get a space in there. But you can still follow me on Facebook, even if it won't let you friend me. Uh, don't be offended. It's not because I'm rejecting you. It's just because Facebook doesn't like me having so many friends. So, uh, but you can still follow me on Facebook. So all of those things, I need you to do that. How many of you are going to do it? Okay, three of you. Thank you. That's a blessing. I feel loved and accepted already. Also, while you're doing that, I'm going to give you a minute. I've got, I've got just two things here tonight, and I don't have very many of them. I have like 10 of each. So there needs to be a mad rush to this book table when we're finished. First of all, uh, this is my book called Hooper Man. You say, what is Hooper? Hooper is the Greek word for, for where we get super or hyper. It's a prefix. When you add it to anything, it makes it more than it would be on its own. How many of you know when you add God to your life, when you put his super to your natural, you are never the same? And God will take your life and teach you how to live a life beyond limits. This little book is literally, we've sold tens of thousands of copies. We've sent them all over the world. It's been translated into Swahili, into Polish, it's, uh, into Vietnamese. It's been put into the hands of churches right around the world, and the testimonies we get from this book emailed to us are astounding. It tells my story. I was born with a cleft lip and palate, never supposed to be able to speak, and before I was 50 years old, I preached in over 50 nations, and in 50 nations of the earth. Yeah, come on. That's not me. That's God, and God wants to take foolish things to confound the wise. Do you have my book? Will you read it if I give it to you? You promise? Okay, yeah, I'm just kidding. Yeah, bless you. 
And then uh, this is my wife's book. It's a lot thicker than mine. You know what they say, women talk a lot more than men. This, this book uh, has devotionals in every chapter. There are churches that have bought scores of them and done devotionals with ladies. They've done entire conferences uh, walking through small groups in the, with this book. All the recommendations are from men. Stuart Bell recommends this book. Tony Miller recommends this book. Stuart, Jeff Lucas recommends this book. Jeff Lucas, one of the most sought-after speakers in the UK, says if you are he said, if you're a woman, read this book. If you're not a woman, read this book. I guess if you're not sure, read this book. It's invigorating, refreshing, honest, immensely readable. There's a lot of Hooper here, but there's no hype. The reason it's called Hooper Woman, because Superwoman does not exist. Do you have this book? Now, now, there you do, right there. Bless you. All right. So there, now there's only nine left. So these girls will be right here after the service, and they'll help you. Now, media team, I'm going to throw you for a loop. Because there's no way in the time I have that I can go through my notes. So I'm just going to preach, and I'm just going to go for it. All I need the media team to do is when I ask for that mountain, throw it up there. Everything else, you're just going to have to pay attention and forget about the screen. I'm going to talk fast if you'll listen fast. I'm going to tell you, if you'll talk back to me, I'll preach faster and I'll preach better. Because I've trained my church that, that church is interactive. It's a participatory sport. You're not sitting there listening to me speak. You're drawing something out of me tonight. So if you want something from God, you've got to decide what you're expecting from God tonight. Because listen, I can preach the paint off the wall, but if you're not ready to pull something out of what God has deposited in me, then we're all wasting our time. But I believe I came to the right place tonight, and I believe that God wants to do something greater than we've ever seen before. Now, now, now in Psalms 84, it says two things. It says that we're blessed. Blessed are those that dwell in the house. So there's a blessing for people dwelling in the house of God. I didn't say house visitors, I said house dwellers. Somebody say, I'm blessed because I dwell. Then it goes on, the next, very next verse, verse 5 says, blessed are those whose heart is set on the journey. So you're blessed if you dwell, and then it says, you're blessed if you go on a journey, if you're on the move. That makes no sense. Why, why would, how, how, how can I be blessed staying and blessed moving? That's a paradox unless you understand something. That the church of the living God is a moving thing. We are on a journey of faith together. And that as we journey together in God, we dwell arm in arm. We dwell hand in hand, but we're not staying still. We're committed as we dwell to journeying through life in faith. This journey, however, is always upward because God is calling us upward all the time. The journey of the church is never stagnant. The journey of the church is never, never to just, to just keep going round and round in circles, but we're always ascending. As a matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 2 verse 3 says, there will be many that will come and say, let us go up the mountain of the Lord. So as, put that, that, that mountain picture up there if you would. That's the Matterhorn. If we were going to climb the Matterhorn, do I have any mountain climbers in here? None. If we were going to climb the Matterhorn, we would not just 
go straight up it. You would have to either zigzag or for our purposes, you would go round. Sometimes in church, it feels like while we're on this journey of faith, we hit difficult times and we're just going round and round. And you keep going round and round and you think, oh, I just keep going around this mountain and it just seems like I'm, I'm not getting anywhere. But what you don't realize is while you're journeying round and round and round and round, you're actually going up to another level every time. And so you think you're doing this, but actually you're doing this. And many times you are looking where, and thinking, you're seeing where you want to go. And so you're thinking, I still have a long way. But God sent me from Texas to tell you tonight that you are not wh where, maybe you're not where you wanted to be, but you are not where you were before. You have gone up higher. That's a word from God for somebody tonight. Somebody say, we're going higher. Come on, touch your neighbor say, we're going higher. We're going higher. We're going higher. Now, when you, as you're journeying, eventually you get to the top. When you get to the top, we call that the summit. But when you get to the summit, you haven't arrived. There's still somewhere to go. It's called over the top. And that's the word God sent me to tell you tonight. That God wants to take this house over the top. Over the top. See, when you get over the top, you see new possibilities. There's new horizons. There's a whole new world that you could never see. And some of you have been climbing, climbing, climbing. You've been, you stepped in, and you've been stepping up, and you stepped out. But now, tonight, 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 it's time to step over. Somebody say, I'm going over the top. See, when you go over the top, your previous ceiling becomes your floor. See, let's shift metaphors from a mountain to a building. If we were to go on top of this building, what's limiting us now would be our foundation. So I'm going to prophesy to you tonight that what used to be the most you ever made in a year will be the least you ever make in a year. What, what used to be the most salvations you had in a month will be the least salvations you ever had in a month. What used to be the most healings you ever had will be the least healings you ever had. Somebody say new levels. Say I'm going to a new level. Let, let's, shift to, let's go to a, a different analogy. Think of the gear shift in a car. I got to get on the right. It's not on this side. It's on this side. Think what country I'm in. So you get the gear shifts. In America, we don't understand. We have automatic transmissions. And everybody, it's, everybody's lazy in America. And, and, but here, you still have stick shifts. You still have manual transmission. And you, you're in first, and then you go, you know, 10, 15 miles an hour, or however many kilometers that is, uh, and then you got to shift. Everybody say shift. Then you get to second, and you go for a little while, a few more kilometers, and then you got to, then you, then you go a few more kilometers, and then you got to, 
And then finally, you can hit overdrive. And in overdrive, you hit maximum potential in that vehicle. And I believe we're in a season to shift. Somebody say, shift happens. Come on, say it again. Say, shift happens. Shift. Shift. It's, that F is strategic. Some of you have been taking the F out. And you've been saying life stinks. But I've come to tell you, put the F back in. Because shift is happening. See, in difficult times, we're trying to say, happens. But put that F of faith back in the other, and it changes everything. Somebody say, I'm shifting. Then when you get into overdrive, the only thing left to do is trade vehicles if you want to go faster. And you got to turn that Bucky in for a Maserati, baby. Some of you have been trying to get everything you can get out of the vehicle you're in. And I'm prophesying to Hatfield that everything's about to change around here. God is going to shift people. He's going to shift things. Listen, and don't hold on to idols because where you're going, baby, is not going to look like where you've been. Because God's taking you to a new land, to a new promise, to a new horizon, to a new day. God is doing a new thing in this house. I, I was, this prophetic word was burning in me about going over the top, and I got ready to go to England to, to share it. And, and I said, God, they're not going to like that. Brits don't really think over the top is a good thing. When they use over the top, it's in a negative connotation, and it's usually about Americans. And they don't really like us for the most part. They love me, but I'm the exception. You know, Brits will say, oh, that's a bit over the top, don't you think? It's a bit OTT. Let's don't go over the top. And I thought, why, did they, why, why don't they like going over the top? What's wrong with going over the top? So I did a little research. Actually, I had a guy share a little bit uh, with me about it, and I went and looked. The reason they don't is that the phrase comes from the Second World War where the Brits were facing Nazi Germany and the Germans were pressing in on them and, and to, they were in their foxholes, in the trenches. And to come out would mean certain death. It's the only other place that, that, that one man told me this and I've not found out any different, so I assume it's true. It's the only other place in recorded history that men sweat blood like bullets from the pressure and the stress like Jesus in Gethsemane. And the general would come into the, or commanding officer would come into the foxhole. And he would say, boys, it's time to go over the top. And they would come out of those trenches and face Nazi Germany. Ultimately, that was the most courageous, heroic act ever. And it changed the course of history. And if those men had not gone, gone over the top, England would be speaking German today. And it dawned on me, the church, with all the upheaval in the world, the enemy's trying to get us to go back in the foxhole. 
and stay where it's safe. Stay where it's comfortable. Stay where it's normal. Stay where it's reasonable. Stay where it's acceptable. But God sent a crazy Texan to the young adults, the evening service at Hatfield Christian Church to tell you King Jesus said it's time to get out of the trenches and go over the top. It's time to go over the top. I can't say it with any more passion than that. See, in, in the 70s, that phrase turned in England. It was a heroic term in the war, but then after a while, it began to, to get this negative connotation. Why would you do that? It's crazy. It's, 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 it's unreasonable. Let's, let's just be reserved. Nice British English reserve. That's why they don't like it. Because it pushes them out of their comfort zone. But see, my Bible says that in Galatians 2.20 that I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I don't have to worry about dying. I already died. I don't have to be afraid of following God or serving God or obeying God. Because if the devil kills me, I'm dead already. So you can't kill a dead man. Worst thing that happens, I go to heaven. Not a bad deal. Come on, are you here? So I do, I, do you want to, does anybody want to go over the top? I, I think there's several areas we could go over the top. How about over the top praise? No, 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 you're not ready for this. Let me, let me, see, see some of you, I can see you think, that's not my personality. I, I'm, a, I'm a half hand raiser. I'm not, I'm not a whole arm raiser. I, or maybe you do the helicopter. <laughs> Listen, I believe there's some people going to get like David that they get so excited about the presence of God that they dance down to their underwear. That they get so excited that when God, they just say, I'm going to praise God. And when Michael said a king shouldn't act like that, he said, woman, be quiet. I'll get more undignified than this. And I believe there's somebody in this house that for the next 15 seconds ought to throw your hands in the air. You ought to shout. You ought to clap. You ought to praise God. Somebody say over the top. Listen, I got three minutes. I need you to help me now. I'm going to take more than three minutes, so that's okay. I only got one shot at you. Hallelujah. How about, how about over the top prayers? In England, it always cracked me up. I'm hard on the British. I'm sorry. They love me, though. They love me. They really do. I love England. I lived there for two years. I was a missionary in England for two years. So I can do it. It's like making fun of your family. But I, I went to England and, and they would sit around, they would have corporate prayer and everybody would sit around and, and just think happy thoughts. 
I thought, I could do this at home. I could do this laying on my settee drinking coffee. I didn't have to come all the way here. And then some people pray, you know, have corporate prayer, and then they, it's just a moment of reflection. You can do that anytime. I believe God's calling some people together that know how to pray, and they don't pray till they get through. They pray till they get a breakthrough. Come on. See, some people just pray till they're through, but I believe there's some people who are going to pray through until they get a breakthrough. We've been having some phenomenal prayer meetings in our church. We declared August is breakthrough month, and we've been having he healings and miracles. During one of our prayer meetings, a lady who couldn't raise her arm for eight months over her head got completely healed, could throw her hand in the air, praise God, pick stuff up, run around, I mean, just moving her arm cra like crazy. Then the next week, we had a guy get his right shoulder healed. When I was testifying about her left shoulder, God healed his right shoulder. Been two years since he could lift it over his head. See, when you pray and get a breakthrough, things happen. Somebody say over-the-top prayers. I think it's time for some over-the-top preaching. Some of you say, yeah, your preaching's a little over-the-top. No, 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 no. You ain't seen nothing yet. We, we, we ain't there yet. We're fixing to go over-the-top. But it's become popular to, to just have a little talk. Just, just, and, and, and just give people self-help sermons. You can go to a psychologist, read a blog, or watch a TED Talk. Save the trouble of going to church. But Paul called it the foolishness of preaching. In England, they would say, oh, that was a nice, that was a nice talk you gave. Talk, I just preached the gospel of a resurrected living Savior. I just, people just got healed. People just got saved. Miracles and signs and wonders happened. I just preached my guts out. I did not give a little talk. Thank you very much. We could go on. on. How, about, how, about, how about, here's another. How about over the top serving? So, so maybe you're on the, maybe you're on the, do you call it a schedule or a rotor here? Like a, when you sign up to serve. Schedule, okay. In England, they call it a rotor, so I didn't know. If you say schedule, they don't know what you're talking about. So schedule, you, you're scheduled. You sign up to serve, right? Okay, good, good, good. Just making sure. So, so maybe, maybe you've never served. Maybe you've been thinking about it, but you thought, like, why don't you go over the top and serve once a month? Or maybe you've been serving once. What if you serve twice a month? <laughs> or yea, verily, you get radical and serve thrice. <laughs> or God forbid. Every week. Going crazy, Dwayne. Somebody say over the top serving. But but here's the one I really want to give you tonight. How about over the top giving? Now listen, when you see me smile when I'm preaching, it's because I'm obeying my wife. My wife says, honey, when you're gonna say difficult things, smile. She told me this years ago. Like 20 years ago, she said, smile, because it's like putting sugar on the spinach. 
it helps it go down a little better. If there's ever an area we should go over the top, it's in our giving. It's in generosity. See, God's grace provides something, but faith has to access it. Because grace and faith are heaven's power twin. You can't have faith for something grace has not provided. But grace will not manifest in your life if you don't access it by faith. So, so there's a movement in America for minimalism. Even in the church, minimalism. They, they have tiny houses. Tiny houses. I mean, they're like the size of this. And a whole family lives there. Not because they're poor. They pay like more money than a huge house for these things, which is stupid to me. You have two pair of shoes and two pair of trousers and two shirts. They're black and brown, so you don't have to worry about matching them. And they act like it's super spiritual. I'm really hard on these people. I love them. I don't mean it that way. But, but I just realize God's not minimalistic. God's not a minimal. God's an over-the-top God. The cross was not minimalistic. Jesus didn't say, well, could I just have three strikes? Instead of 39, just give me three. Could I drop a few? Could I just cut my finger and that blood work? Could I have a near-death experience? No, Jesus gave it all. And that outrageous, scandalous, insane, over-the-top grace demands some over-the-top faith to reach out and bring it into the now. Can I, can I have 10 more minutes? I mean, if, if, if I can't, he said yes. If you don't like it, you can leave. I, I, I just got one shot at you. I just got one shot at you. Now watch this. Whenever God's calling me to a new level of living in my finances, I must respond, by grace, I must respond with a new level of giving. And we're busy arguing over stupid theology. Like, well, I read a blog. And this guy wrote a book and said that tithing is in the old covenant, not the new covenant. So I don't have to tithe. Nah. <laughs> so I'm not going to tithe because I just realized that I don't have to. No, you don't have to tithe. You get to tithe. And, and while we're at it, let me just, just say this. I hope they're recording because I'm going to say it so fast you're not going to get it. If you want to really understand theology, you should understand the principles of hermeneutics. One of the first principles of hermeneutics is the law of first mention. Wherever you find something first mentioned in the Bible, it sets a precedent for the rest of time. The first mention of tithing was Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a type and shadow of Jesus. So therefore, anytime I pay tithes, I'm not paying it to a church or to a man. I'm paying it to Jesus himself. Because all, and the only thing Jesus is building is his church. So I shouldn't be tithing to some ministry or some orphanage 
tithe. I give them my offerings, but I tithe to the storehouse. And listen, and they say, well, well if you don't tithe, you're not going to be cursed. Well, the Old Testament in Malachi didn't say God cursed you. It says the devil curses you. So tithe puts a protection around my life. Then people say, well, Abraham only paid tithes one time. I don't know that we know that because actually when you get to his grandson, when he had an encounter with God, he tithes. So daddy taught, taught uh, Abraham taught his son who taught his grandson. So somebody had been tithing for three generations. And then you get to the New Testament. And, and, and the Hebrews says that we pay tithes to men on earth. But, but actually Jesus receives them in heaven. And it says that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. And we should do the same. I could go on all day, folks. But while we're arguing tithing, God's trying to take us over the top. And the devil gets us in theological wranglings over stupid things. Jesus busts on the scene and says, um, okay, you have two coats. Give away one. That's 50%. So if you don't like tithing, give half. <laughs> what was Jesus doing? He was making a point. Grace is never less. It's always more. Grace never empowers you to do less than the law. It empowers you to do more than the law without the law. So one guy said, I just believe New Covenant, we should just pray and ask God what to give. I said, okay. I said, do you give every week? He said, no, not every week. I said, so you're not praying and asking him every week? And he said, well, I guess not. I said, that's why you need to tithe, because you have no discipline in your life. You're like a child, and you need to have discipline in your life. You're 34 years old, but you're completely undisciplined. Your finances are in a shambles, so you ought to tithe as a law of first fruits just to put discipline in your life. But actually, tithing is not an offering. That's God's, and then the rest he's just saying, then you can pray. But I said, go ahead for 90 days pray and see what God tells you. Write it down. And if it's not less, more than 10%, I promise you, you didn't hear God. He didn't do it. See, because he really didn't want Jason to, to be free from, from in the spirit. He wanted to be free to do whatever he wanted to do. Huh? So, 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 see, Jesus was trying to let us understand something. It's all his. Come on, it's all his. Let me say it again. It's all his. My friend J. John tells a story. There was a guy that went into Dunkin' Donuts. Anybody know Dunkin' Donuts? They have nice donuts and coffees. And, and so, so he went into Dunkin' Donuts, a businessman, and he, he had his, his briefcase, and, and, and he gets his donuts and his coffee, and he sits down, and, and, and he's sitting there, and he, he, he puts his briefcase down and he picks up his laptop and he's working away. And, and, and then a guy comes and sits beside him and says, there's no room. Can I sit down? And he says, yeah, sure. And he's working away. And he notices the guy reaches in and grabs a donut. He looks at him like, what are you doing? He grabs the bag and pulls the donut out himself and moves it right in front of him. And keeps working. The guy reaches over the computer, grabs another donut. So he grabs one and goes... Puts it in his lap. The guy reaches into his lap. It's very awkward. Pulls out another donut. And he thinks, right, that's it. Slams his computer. Stuffs it in his bag. 
And as he's picking it up, he sees his bag of donuts. Those weren't his donuts. They were his donuts. And he thought the guy was stealing his donuts. He was actually sharing. And listen, when God asks for something from you, he's not stealing it from you. They're all God's donuts. He's not stealing. He's sharing. Worship team, you can come. You can come. You can come. I'm landing this plane. I promise. Listen, there's never been a move of God in the earth that was not accompanied with supernatural giving. There's never been a move of God. Listen, listen. How many of you want to see a move of God? You'll never see it if it's not accompanied with supernatural giving. Because a move of God is about our heart and giving is about our heart. You say, well, that's an American thing. I was in Bujumbura, Burundi, and a, and, a, and a pastor of a church during the war, Hutus killing Tutsis, 250,000 people murdered, bombs going off in the streets, people risking their lives to come to prayer at 4.30 in the morning. Hundreds of them. And one night during an offering, a pastor put his pen, his Bible, he gave all his money, he took off his shoes, his socks, his belt, everything. Except for his, just his t-shirt and his trousers. Just hang on there, brother, just a second, just hang on, hang on. Let him play that, you're doing good, but just let him play that for just a minute. I want you to get this. Just hang on, just a minute, let him play. Because you're going to start listening to him and you're going to miss this. You're going to start singing that song in your head. And I don't want you to miss this. We've got a moment in God right here. Are you with me for another couple minutes? That man gave everything he had. He walked home in his bare feet two miles with guns going off. Jesus, 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 Jesus. He finally said, I've given everything. And he curled up in the basket. And he said, God, I give you everything. That man ended up being a missionary to, DR, to, uh, to Tanzania from Burundi. And he pastors an amazing church today. That night, God broke him into another dimension. When God calls you to another level, you can change chords. You just don't play a song. God, I'm going to help them learn how to do this. We're, we're, we're having a teaching moment here. You play pads, brother. I just want you to play pads. That's all you got to do. Does he understand that, Mike? Okay, if not, help him. We're, we're not going to miss this moment. Now, there you go. That's it. It's exactly what I want right there. You say, why does that matter? Money changes atmosphere, so does music. Music changes atmospheres. I'm not doing that to manipulate somebody, but there's an atmosphere. There's a moment in God. And all that time we spent in the presence of God is wasted if we don't do something right now. It's pointless. So I want to get it right. I've only got one chance. I want to get it right. 
Every time God calls you to a new level, he calls you to a new level of giving. See, why? Because you don't sow for now. You sow for what's next. Rachel, before she ever went on a missions trip, was tithing 10%, and she started saving 10% to sow into missions. And she, was, she sowed into other people's missions and got ready for God to position her. That was two years ago. She was 22 years old. You say, oh, that only works in America. No, it worked in Burundi. It worked in Kenya. It works all over the world. You say, that only works when you have a good job and you're older. No, she was 22, fresh out of college. But since then, that launched her. This year, she's gone to three continents, seven nations, to the underground church in Kenya, in, in, in Vietnam, in Kenya, in South Africa, in Nicaragua, in Guatemala, in, in, in Ireland, in England, literally all across the world. Why? Because she was sowing where she wanted to go. We say, I'll sow when I get there. No, you sow before you get there. See, because here's how it works. We think... We sow a seed, and then we wait, and God prepares a harvest. Ecclesiastes says, seed, time, harvest. Everybody say that with me. Say, seed, time, harvest. Say it again. Say, seed, time, harvest. But here's the thing. God works in reverse. So God's grace provides the harvest. So here's how God sees it. Harvest time. So God, my seed does not begin God's process in my life. It finishes it. You didn't get that. I said it doesn't begin the process of God. It finishes it. So whenever you sow, you're unlocking what God already provided. My wife and I, in 1999, gave 35% of our income. Little did we know that the next year we would start beyond these shores and we would be flung all over the world. And I'm here tonight because of that seed. Two years ago, we gave the largest offering we've ever given. It had a lot of zeros left of the decimal point. Doesn't matter how many are right of the decimal point. It was the biggest offering ever. We launched into a new building. We felt God calling us to a new level this year. And so I prayed and God said, give that same amount from two years ago. My wife prayed. God said, give the same amount from, from two years ago. So we thought, okay, great. We heard God. And I was in the shower and he said, no, you missed it. I said, God, you don't understand. This is how it works. I pray, get a number. Chris prays, gets the number. That's you. And he said, no, you missed it. I said, God, you don't understand how this works. I pray, get a number. Chris prays, gets the number. Same number. We got it. And he said, no, not this time. Because that was your number. And that was her number. And I want you to give both. And I said, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Actually, I came out of the shower and I said, Chris, we've got to double our offering. I told her what he said and she said, let's do it. Because after 30 years of ministry and being 50 years old, if I lose everything, 
what difference does it make? Because he's never let me down. And he'll never let me down. And you know what? I wish I could tell you the next week I got a big check in the mail. But what I can tell you is the next week, the retaining wall on my new house. I didn't buy a tiny house. I bought, I bought the biggest house I've ever owned. Because I wanted to break that spirit. And, and, and after we sowed that seed, a wall fell down during a storm. And it's going to cost two and a half times what that seed was to get it fixed. Still not fixed. I have a wilderness in my backyard. Our church bookkeeper made a two million rand mistake. In a day, I looked and thought, that's not what I was looking for my seed to produce. Because I thought, we're, we're, if without a miracle, we're done. We're over. We, we, we're finished. But I also knew that, that God had already had the, the harvest, and I'm just in the time. So you know what I did? I sowed another seed to access another level. And you know what? On August 1st, that first week in August, we had the largest tithes and offerings. It wasn't 2 million rand, but it was the largest tithes and offerings that we had ever had as a church in a week. And we will come out of this. And if not, I'll see y'all all in heaven. So when we're talking about faith for difficult times, I'm not talking about name it and claim it and blab it and grab it and sow it and get it. I'm talking about I'm going to live by faith in my finances and I am not afraid to go over the top and access some outrageous grace with my outrageous faith. So I have one question and I'm finished. Is there anybody? Now you can start playing that guitar right now. Start hitting that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah get that thing going. Get that going because we're fixing to shout. Is there anybody? Hatfield Christian Church. Evening service. I've come and I've given it everything I got. And I got one question. And your response will determine your own outcome. I'm, I'm going to ask this question and I'm going to go stand over here. Is there anybody in this house that says, I'm ready to go over the top?